Would you pray with me? Father, we're, we're here because you're big and you're strong, but also because you're merciful and you're kind and you're patient. You, you've been so kind and gracious and patient to us. And God, we just want to spend a few moments just to pause before we spend time in the word. We want to remind ourselves that, that you really are ours, that you willingly gave yourself to die so you could have relationship with us. God, we're, we're grateful for that mercy. And God, I pray as we continue to worship, God, I'm praying that you would give all of us ears to hear what you would say to us through your word. God, would you help me to teach? I pray you'd help me to teach clearly and accurately your word and your truth. And God, we want you to work. I want you to move in our hearts that we would be a church that looks more like the church you've called us to be. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You may be seated. Well, uh, as uh, before we jump into our um, sermon this morning, I know there's a lot kind of going on, but I want to announce one thing for you as a church that, uh, that we're doing. We're partnering with a thing called Right Now Media. I don't know if y'all ever heard of this or not, but uh, Right Now Media is this organization that they provide access to a literally thousands of online Bible studies, small group studies, um, things for your kids, things for you, uh, for your own like personal quiet time and training. It is literally access to thousands of resources for you and your own personal journey when it comes to making disciples, to growing in your walk. You can use it for family devos. You can use it for friends that you want to get together with and watch something in a coffee shop and talk about it. Like, it literally is giving you access to thousands of things. And so one of the things that we decided to do this year is we're partnering with them. And so here's what that means. That means every single one of you are going to get free access to this. Um, it's yours for good. Like that's what we're doing. So uh, we bought that as a church and we're giving it to everyone that's a part of our church. So if you're here today, this afternoon, you should get an email from a group called Right Now Media. That's going to give you your login. Uh, so you just type in your email and create your password and log in. And then there you are. You have access. I mean, it's a, I'm telling you right now, it is a ton of resources. I mean, it, it's way more than you could ever go through in just definitely in a lifetime is what it feels like. And they're constantly adding new things. There's just, I mean, there's a lot of resources. I want to encourage you guys to look for that email probably sometime today around noon. If you don't get that email today around noon or one o'clock, check your junk folder. If it's not in there, then you need to reach out to us and we'll, we'll get you free access to that. So we want all of you to have access to as many tools as possible to help you know and love Jesus, to help you lead your families and your friends to know and love Jesus, to help us have conversations about Jesus and his word when we're together in groups. So we need to check this out. It's called Right Now Media. Uh, they got the pretty picture up there. I don't know if there's other pictures, but uh, it's pretty sweet. Um, I'm, I'm excited about that point. If you're a parent of kids, listen, they've got tons of kids resources on there. Um, there's tons of cartoons my kids didn't even know existed and now they love. Uh, so that's all I've got for you for right now, media. Let me, let me jump into our sermon today. We're in a sermon series on the book of Acts. Uh, we just started it last week. And to be honest, Acts is a very intense book. I mean, like it is just, it's straight fire. I don't know what else to say besides that. Like when you're reading the book of Acts, I mean, it's, it is right there in your face. It's, it's, um, aggressive might be too strong of a word, but it's definitely, uh, confrontational. It feels very confrontational to me when I look at what's happening in the book of Acts and I look at how I experience the church. These two things feel like night and day difference. Um, just 
totally different. And today is no different because what we're looking at today, I'm telling you right now, it is crazy. It is wild. I mean, it is like, it is like something, I don't even know how to describe how insane the beginning of the church is. But let me remind you where, we, where we've been. Um, Jesus has died and come back from the dead. I'm just going to run through that like that's nothing. That's a big deal, right? He's died and come back from the dead. And he's gathered his followers around and said, listen, I've got a mission for you. I, I've got something I want you to do. I want you to go and make followers of me to every man, woman, and child in the entire known earth. <laughs> okay, that's just a small job. And when I think about his followers, especially his big dogs, the 11 that he had around him, we well, had 12, but one of them was a snake. But the 11 that are still around, when I think about that, and I look at these 11 guys, and I look at these guys that are uneducated, they got stupid experience. Like they got no experience. Everything they do in the gospels just seems stupid. Like they never get it. Never. There's never, well, there might, there's one moment where Peter gets it, but the rest of the time you're like, are you serious? Like Jesus saying things like, how long do I have to be with you guys? Like, when will you understand this? Or he says things to Peter like, bro, you're like Satan right now. I need you to get out of my way. Get behind me. You're acting like the devil. Like that's his conversation with his 11 big dogs, right? These are the ones that he's given, putting in charge of this mission to make sure every man, woman, and child hear the message. These are the 11 that tucktailed and ran Literally, the moment pressure happened and Jesus gets arrested, they're gone, bro. They're gone. I mean, they are, they are out of sight. In one of the Gospels, there's a story about a dude that I, I don't know what the guy was thinking, but he's in the garden where Jesus gets arrested in a blanket, just a blanket. Who, who is this kid? I don't even know. And they go to grab his blanket and he decides, I'm going to, he runs naked home. That's one of the stories in the Gospels. Like this dude is such a coward. He would rather, rather run naked through the streets of Jerusalem than stand up next to Jesus. Now, uh, I think he deserves it because why are you naked in a garden in the middle of the night, bro? That's just weird. But anyways, um, I'm looking at this and it's just Astron it's just insane to me. It's astronomically huge mission that God's given them. Let me read, remind you of what this mission is. Here's what he tells them. Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. And while he's staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which is what he said. You heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And, and what's the purpose of this? Down in verse 8, we see this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Like He says, listen, I got this huge mission. Go and just wait. Don't do anything. You're too stupid. Just go wait. You need something. You need power and wisdom that you don't have. I need you to go and wait for it in Jerusalem. Don't come up with a plan. Don't, don't start your movement yet. Go wait for power of the Spirit and just wait in Jerusalem. Doesn't tell them how long. Doesn't tell them what to do. So they just go in Jerusalem and they wait and they're praying and they wait and they're praying, and there's like 120 of them. That's all that's left. They're just waiting and praying and waiting and praying. And look at what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This is going to be our passage for this morning. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, 
They were all together in one place. There's 120 of them. We learned that in verse 15 of chapter one earlier. There's 120 men and women in this room and it's the day of Pentecost. That's 50 days after the Passover. Now, I don't know how many of you celebrate Pentecost. I've never had a celebration of Pentecost, but let me tell you what this was back in the day. In the Old Testament time, there were several festivals. This is actually called the Festival of Weeks or the, the, the Day of First Fruits. They had a whole bunch of these. That means nothing to you, but let me tell you what they were doing at this time in history. At this time in history, Pentecost was the day that the Jews would celebrate when Moses got the law from God. Like this is the day when they say we were, this is the day we're, we're celebrating Moses getting the law. Like God communicated to Israel. Here's how I want you to behave. Here's how I want you to live. I'm, I'm telling you how to please me. So God sends them the law. All right. That, that's this huge gift. So the Jews are celebrating Pentecost. It's the day that they got the law. It's 120 people. They're in this room praying. And then it gets a little crazy. Verse two says this, and suddenly they weren't expecting it. They weren't planning for this. There was no program for this. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Okay, this, this is kind of crazy, right? This is not a group hallucination that's happening. They're all in the room and at the same time they're, they're praying or they're just sitting there. We don't know what they're doing and they start to hear this wind in the room and it's not just like, a little breeze. It's like a mighty rushing wind. Like they're hearing it. I don't know if they're feeling it. I don't know if people's hair is flying around. I don't know. I just know they hear wind and a lot of wind. A category four storm sounds like it's coming into the middle of their living room. Just windy. Can you imagine that right now? You would think the speakers were blowing or you hear static and wind. Like that's a freaky moment right there, especially if it's not planned. Like this wind is rushing in there and, and there's more. Verse three, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So we got crazy amounts of wind and then there's fire. Just fire shows up in the middle of the room and little flames start sitting on top of each single person. Like, can I just be honest? Just can we take a moment and hit timeout real quick? Have you ever been to a church service like that? Actually, don't raise your hand. I don't, I don't want to know. That sounds freaky to me. That, that, I'm just telling you right now, that's crazy, man. And that is, don't just rush past this because you know it. You need to understand these dudes, they should be scared out of their mind. Like this is, this is intense. This is not a game. This is not some trick that someone's pulling. Like there is just like real power. Like something is really happening in this room right now. And it's visible and it's audible. And now it still gets even crazier. Like as if, as if that wasn't insane enough that they've all got this little flame on top of them. There's wind going. It's, it's just crazy in verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Now it's just gotten full on non-Baptist. I, I don't know what else to say. Like that is not Baptist. That is not a Baptist verse in the Bible. It's not a Presbyterian verse. It's not a Methodist verse. There's very few churches where that's a normal occurrence. Like they're sitting there just in this room 
doing whatever they're doing. And all of a sudden, wind and fire. And all of a sudden, dudes just start popping up. And they're speaking in other languages. Like, and it's not that they grew up in that area and they took Spanish classes and now they're practicing their Spanish. Like, they don't know these languages. Like, <laughs> what, what is going on here? Like, well, I mean, I have to ask this question. Like, what is happening in this moment? Let me tell you what happened. Jesus told them, go and wait for the spirit. And, and he told them in John chapter 14, let me read a couple verses to you about what Jesus said was going to happen, that how he's going to empower them for the mission that he gave. This is that empowering that's happened. This is the spirit showing up. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus says this. He says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. So I'm going to send this helper. That's the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. And look at this word forever. Okay. So this is happening. They're about to get the spirit. And it's not like just for five minutes or 10 minutes or for the afternoon. He's saying, when I send the spirit, it's going to be different because you're going to get him permanently. That's crazy. Right? Like this promise Jesus is making is I'm going to send the spirit. And he's going to help you with this mission I've given you. And he's going to be with you forever. Look at verse 17. It says, even the spirit of truth. In other words, he's going to help you with truth and with the word and proclaiming the gospel. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And look, it says this. You know him because he dwells with you. Like right there next to you. And then look at this. And he will be in you. Jesus made this promise. This is the night before he, he gets crucified. And he's telling them, listen, I'm, I'm leaving and I'm going to send a helper. And he's going to be with you for good. And he's actually going to be in you, like inside of you permanently. That, that's, that's a crazy promise. That's a crazy promise. And, and if, we're, if we're not careful, we'd be tempted to say, listen, I don't know about all this putting the spirit in me, but I really like Jesus right next to me. Like it would be much easier for me to live the Christian life if Jesus was next to me all the time. Like if every day I actually got up and he was physically there at my house and he walked with me with my family into my car and was with me in the office at work and was with me at those lunch meetings and was with me when I went home and was with me when I was talking to my family. Like if he was actually with me every single day right next to me saying, Fias, go talk to your neighbor. I go, you know what, that's a, that's a good idea. Hey, Fias, why, why, did you just, why did you just do that? Or I know what you're thinking. Like, doesn't that sound like that'd be much better? But Jesus says this later on in John, verse, chapter 16, verse 17, or verse 7, he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? How is it better for me that Jesus isn't next to me? He says this, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Like, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I know you like me around, but it's better for you that I'm not actually physically present with you disciples anymore. It's better for you that you get the Holy Spirit for good inside of you. That's better. The Spirit in you is better than Jesus standing right next to you. Do you realize how audacious of a statement that is? Like he's saying, listen, you need to hear this. Every person in this room, it is better for you that Jesus sent his Spirit and he's not here right now. It's better for you in living the Christian life 
It's better for you in figuring out how to deal with sin and be the church and minister to people. It's better for you that the spirit would be in you than that Jesus would be next to you. It's better. It's better. He's saying this is, this is God's wisdom. This is God's plan. And it's better for you. And so he's saying, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're waiting for. And that's exactly what's happening to the apostles and those 120 people right now in this moment. They're getting this promise. It's the, the very initial outpouring of the spirit. And dude, it is, he's coming in with a bang, dude. Wind, fire, speaking in tongues. And, and here's what kind of happens. Let's go back to Acts chapter two. Look, look at what happens. Apparently they start speaking in tongues and they roll out into the streets. We don't know if they made their way to the temple, but 120 people just kick the doors down in this living room and they're out there. They're out on the streets. They're wandering around. They're all speaking in tongues. And look at what happens in verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men. They're here for Pentecost from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, probably the sound of 120 people hitting the streets, all like talking crazy languages, right? At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. They were all confused. Like, bro, what is going on? But each one, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Like, so they all show up. These are people from all over the world and they're together for Pentecost. And all of a sudden there's this group of 120 people, they're out in the streets and they're all speaking these languages like crazy. And they're amazed and astonished and are saying, dude, are not all these speaking Galileans? Like you're saying, hey, these guys are all, these are country hicks, man. That's what a Galilean is. He goes, these are all dudes, they got no education. They ain't been nowhere but Galilee. They've never been out of Israel. And these dudes show up and they're all speaking these languages. And they're speaking it perfectly. Like we understand exactly what they're saying. Verse eight saying, how is it each of us can hear uh, each of us that we hear each of us in his own native language. And he gives a list of them, Parthians and Medes and Edomites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. That's yes, my people are in there. That makes me feel better. Not a single American on this list. So I was there. You weren't. Sorry, just just playing with you. Uh, and they're saying this. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Well, these dudes are not just up there just spouting off gibberish, they're speaking clearly and understandably in the language of the people in that crowd. And they're telling about what God has done. It's not just, well, I'm not, I'm not going to start acting stupid. I, I'm going to stop that. Uh, um, I, I'll, I'm not going to do it. I almost said, they're not going shabalama ding dong, shabalama ding dong. They're not just saying insanity. They're speaking the language of the people that are in that crowd and they are hearing the message of Jesus and his good news and all the powerful things that God has done. Like, and they're going, listen, I, I'm hearing him. He's speaking Arabic right now. I, I don't know how that guy knows Arabic. He's obviously never been out of this area. He shouldn't know Arabic. And, and the dude next to him, well, he's, this dude's speaking Greek right now. Like he, he's speaking Greek. He should not know Greek. And so this dude's speaking Latin or whatever the Romans, he's speaking Rome. Uh, he's speaking Latin. Like he's throwing some Latin out there and all these languages all over the world. You got 120 people out in the crowd and all preaching the good news of Jesus in all these different languages. Dude, that, listen, when the spirit shows up, 
it's like crazy and strong and powerful. And, and it's so crazy that uh, verse 13, some people are like, this doesn't make sense. And they go, you know what? That's not, that's not God working. These dudes are all drunk. That's what they say in verse 13. They're all just drunk. Um, like it's this, it's this crazy thing. So Peter gets up and he's saying, he's got a big crowd right now. Look at what he does in verse 14. Good old scaredy cat Peter. Like you remember, this is the dude that tuck tailed and ran a month earlier, right? He was afraid to tell a girl he was following Jesus. And now Peter's got this crowd and we know it's at least 5,000 people, maybe more, like 5,000 people. Like this is a big crowd. This is a ton of people. And all of a sudden he stands up and he does this verse 14, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice. He better speak loudly. There's a lot of people. And he addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. It's a weird intro, but whatever, Peter verse 15, these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, it's 9am. They're not drunk. I mean, they could be, but that's a whole lot of drinking to be drunk by 9am. Like these people are not drunk right now. They're not drunk. Here's what it is. Verse 15. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He's saying, listen, this is what's happening. There's a prophecy of God from Joel. And God said, I'm going to send my spirit. You're seeing it right now. You're seeing the spirit get, get dumped out on all of these people. That's what's happening. They're not drunk. The spirit, the promise that God gave in the book of Joel, he's just showed up today. And he says this in verse 22. Look at how, look at how bold Peter's about to get. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. And listen, Jesus, and you know he was from God because you saw his miracles. You've heard the story. You saw him heal the people. You heard him teach. Like all of you know about this. It just happened a month ago. You know, you saw what he did. You know, he was from God. He's, he's getting right in to the issue. You're not supposed to talk about in a crowd at that time. Like he's going right through the big no, no topic, right? Like he's standing in front of a crowd and he starts talking about Jesus. This is like scandal right now. He says this verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Like, uh-oh, this just got a little intense. Like, let me just remind you, hey, Peter, these people, they, these crowds kill people, right? They were just yelling crucify him a month ago. Like, that's not the way you want to start this church, Peter. Like, can't we do a service project? Can't you have like five ways to like, live a happy life and have a better marriage. And Peter's like, listen, let me tell you the thing you don't want to talk about now, what's happening in front of you is Jesus. You killed him and you knew he was from God. Woo. Peter, dude. Then he says this verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. That Jesus that you killed, he came back from the dead. Like he's getting straight to the good news of Jesus and here's what he says in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. 
Like he's aggressive and he's direct and he is not afraid of a massive crowd that's saying these people are drunk. He's saying they're not drunk. The spirit just showed up and it's the spirit that Jesus sent. You killed him and he came back to life and he's right now, he is king. And, and listen, you need to see something. Peter gets up. This is crazy. The spirit shows up like Peter stands up. He's preaching some crazy good news with boldness and directness. He's not a coward anymore. Like Peter's got boldness. There's power happening in this room. And then right there in verse 37, the spirit works in the entire crowd. Verse 37, when they heard this, here's how the spirit worked. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, they didn't even wait for They didn't even wait for an invitation. They started yelling it out. Hey, well, what are we supposed to do? We killed Jesus. Well, what do we do? They're yelling it out. I'm trying to picture what that's like. That's how you know it's not a Baptist church. The people are talking back to the guy in the middle of his sermon. Like he hasn't even called the band up to play a song. He hasn't even opened the altar yet. Like there's not even an invitation. And they're saying, just, hey, hold on, time out. Before you go any further, tell me what to do, man. And he just lays out the gospel. Believe in Jesus. Get baptized. Like do that. Believe in Jesus. And, and here's the moment that just blows my mind. Peter's first sermon ever. Impromptu sermon. He didn't even get to prep it. No music. They didn't sing a single song. They just bust onto the scene. The crowd guys like, I'm preaching right now. I'm winging it with boldness and clarity by the power of the spirit. This dude preaches this sermon and the spirit works. It's not even that awesome of a sermon. When you read it, you get lost because he's meandering and the spirit takes a mediocre sermon and a cowardly guy and he strikes to the heart of this crowd. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and out of the gate there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Guys, I'm just, I need to put this in perspective for you. That's this room filled twice. I mean, packed. Like people standing twice. Three, that's, like, that's Billy Graham type numbers, dude. Like that's, and it's Peter, like the spirit did this powerful work, impromptu, it just busts on the scene and there's a movement, there's no plan. They're just speaking the gospel and all of a sudden people are getting saved and out of the gate, day one, they've got a church that's 3,000 people big. Like that's, we don't even know how many kids, they don't have, they, they, got, they got no plan. What are they gonna do? They got no kids ministry. They got no student ministry. They got no music ministry. Where are they going to meet? They got no building. They're not even allowed to meet. Like there's persecution. Like they got a whole mess of problems because they haven't planned it out at all, but they weren't supposed to plan it. The plan was this. You wait for the spirit and let him do the work. Now, now listen, I, I read that and I read that story and I have all sorts of questions. I don't know. Do y'all have questions? Okay, there's three of us that have questions and the three of us will talk. I'm just gonna, you can listen to me and my wife talk because she has questions. Um, listen, like there's a ton of questions I've got. Like, let me tell you the very first one that pops into my head. Is that supposed to be normal for us today? Like, should I be going to church? I mean, let me just tell you, I, I'm only 44 years old. 
Some of you are like 44. Others you're like 44. I kid. That, that little guy up there like, I'm only 44 years old, but I've been in church my whole life. And I'm going to tell you how many times I've actually seen something like this happen in person. Zero. I've never heard wind, never seen fire, never seen 120 people all of a sudden stand up speaking different languages they don't know, never seen a crowd gather and never seen 3,000 people get saved. Not once have I ever seen that happen. Never. Well, I've just, I've never seen it. I've even done mission trips. I was a mission pastor for a while. I would go overseas to places like Haiti and Guatemala and Mexico and other places that are a little bit scarier. I saw the underground church in China. I'm telling you, I never saw this happen once. I never took a group on a mission trip and all of a sudden people started just speaking Chinese automatically and they never studied it. I never had someone learn Spanish. I've never met a missionary who didn't have to do language school. So I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm going, man, I, maybe we're, we're missing something here. Like, maybe that should be the strategy for our missions. They should just go there and pray until they speak the language. Like, well, what's going on here? Why, why is our church so weak? Why don't we see that? And if I'm not careful, I can go down a really bad path. And let me, let me just say three things, and we're going to have to do this all throughout at, all the book of Acts. Here's the three things I want you to know, and I'm not going to answer this question fully, but here's three things you need to know about this. First, I need you to remember that the book of Acts is describing what happened, not giving us instructions for what's supposed to happen. Does does that make sense? So I'm going to tell you what happened. I'm not telling this should happen in every church. I'm just going to tell you, this is what happened the first time. This, this, is, this is how the Spirit showed up. And if you take the entire book of Acts, there's some instructions in there. But if you make it all about instructions, we're going to come up with some crazy plans for the church. For example, you want to start a church? You should go to Jerusalem and you should stay there and wait until the Spirit comes upon you. And you don't start that church until that happens. If, if Acts is instructional, that's exactly what we would do every time we started a church. You would go to Jerusalem and you would wait just like Jesus said to do. No, it's, he's describing what he wanted them or what already happened. Second, this is a unique time in the church. It's, it's the initial special outpouring of the spirit. Like he's going to do a whole lot miracle, a lot of miracles all throughout. But what he's doing in the book of Acts is he's authenticating this new message and these new messengers. He's saying, listen, I, If these guys just show up preaching a message, I've got to prove to you that it's from God. So boom, I'm giving them special power right now. I'm giving unique outpouring. You're going to see that happen throughout the book of Acts. Each time the gospel is going to a new group, there's this special outpouring to confirm that this is from God. Like it's, it's a strong thing. And the third thing, and I'm not going to get into this right now, but just quickly, the speaking in tongues in Acts 2 is not the same as what we see in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. That's a total different discussion. Okay, I'm not, that's a whole Bible insider talk, but uh, this is a special event. This never happens again in the entire book of Acts. We never see this happen again. We see speaking in tongues again. We don't see it happen like this again. This is unique. Uh, There's not wind again. There's not fire again. There's none of those things. This is a unique initial outpouring that's supposed to authenticate and approve the message that these guys are doing. Having said all that, there's a point that I want us to get to. Now, now listen, I'm going to ask you to, to stick with me in this conversation. And, and here's the point that I want us to hear. Even though that was a special outpouring of the Spirit, the Spirit is a vital and essential part of the church. I, I, you need to hear this. Uh, 
if there is no spirit, there is no church. There isn't. If the spirit is not in this group, we're just meeting. We're not a church if there is no spirit. The spirit is supposed to be active and present on a regular basis in the church. Not the building, the people. That's that's a a basic part of Christianity. And and I want to go over some stuff because I think, here's my fear. Here's what I'm afraid has happened for us. I'm afraid we've seen the craziest of the crazies on the internet and on TV, and maybe you've been to some of those places. And what happens, we walk and we see people barking like dogs and rolling around on the floor. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Or am I speaking like a different, right? Well, you see the craziest trash, I mean, like insanity. You hear people say the most outlandish things, like God wants you to be rich. If you're not rich, you don't have faith. You see false teaching. You just absolute insanity. And I'm afraid that we see the insanity and we swing all the way over here and say, I ain't going over there. Like I'm, I need to get as far. I don't even, I don't want to smell. I don't want to have it. I don't want to have a whiff of me that makes you think I'm that crazy lunatic over there. Right? So what happens is we swing all the way over here. I don't know if it's fear. I, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know what it is. But my fear is that the, what the church has done is overreacted to some chaos over here. And what we've turned the spirit into is this theoretical thing that, man, it was great that the spirit was present in, the, in that first century. It, it's great that the spirit is present here, but he would never do anything. He would never do anything that we would actually know he was here. It's going to be sterile. It's going to be rigid. It's going to be perfectly programmed into a tight little box. And there's no movement of the spirit whatsoever because we're so afraid that if we get out of that box, it turns into that. That the spirit has been a theory, a thing we, we know is supposed to be present, but we've never experienced it. It's, so here's what I want to do for a moment. I want to take a moment just to show you, and, and listen, I'm going to fly through some verses. So if you got your bolts, you want to write these down, you need to, you're going to have to write it down. I want to show you just some of the ways that the spirit is active in the church today. Okay, so if you want to take notes, you can. But but let me let me tell you some of these. First, he's involved in your salvation and you may or may not feel this first part. Okay, you may not feel that he's involved in your salvation. Let me tell you some of the things he does in your salvation. Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 says this. It says in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, that's the gospel, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. What happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Say, when you get saved, here's what the Spirit does. He seals you. It's like this permanent thing that happens. The seal he's talking about is the the way like a king or a seizure of that day. If if he had a message he wanted to send, he would close that message up and he'd put wax on it and he would seal it with his ring. He was saying, nobody open this. It's sealed. It's locked in there. No one's supposed to get it. It's, It's what you do when you put a letter in and you lick that thing and you seal it shut. It's not supposed to be opened. It's sealed. It's in there for good. And he's saying this, when you get saved, the spirit seals you. He locks you into Jesus and you aren't getting out. Like you, you don't feel that. There's not a moment you go, oh, I think I just, I think I just got sealed right there. You, that, you don't feel it. You, you may not even, you may not believe it sometimes. You may have doubts, but the Bible says when you get saved, he seals you. 
whether you feel like it or not, his promise when you place your trust in Jesus is your mind and your mind forever. And he locks you in. And you can stumble into sin, but the spirit has sealed you. You can struggle with doubt, but the spirit has sealed you. You can have really great moments where you're walking with Jesus, but that doesn't seal you. The spirit, the moment you get saved, he seals you and locks you in. He, that's a big deal. Here's what else he does. The Bible says he's a down payment for what's promised in the future. 2 Corinthians 1, it says this. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It, that word means down payment. Here, here's what he said. He said, listen, when you get saved, he not only seals you, but he's saying, I got some things that I'm going to do in you. And it, it may take 10, 20, 30 years, but one day you'll meet me. And I'm going to finish the entire work. I'm going to kill sin in you permanently. I'm going to make you holy and pure and clean. And I'm giving you a down payment. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit right now as a down payment so that you know I'm going to finish this work I started. It, it's that, that thing you get when you buy a house. You put a down payment down for that house and you hope you pay it off one day. He's saying, I'm giving you a down payment and I'm going to pay it off the day you meet me. Like he's, the spirit is a promise it's supposed to confirm to you that you're in him. Here's what else he does. First Corinthians six eleven. Look at all the stuff the spirit does. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. That means you were made holy. You were justified. And we said, you're, he said, you're good. You have right standing in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He says this, when you get saved, the spirit starts cleaning you. And for some reason, the picture I get in my head, you ever seen those movies or people back in the old days were doing their laundry and they've got this washboard. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe I've already, yeah. I've never done laundry like that. I don't ever want to do laundry like that. Uh, but I mean, they're, if they're doing it, they're smacking soap on that thing and they're just, they're scrubbing and they're dunking and they're scrubbing and they're dunking and they're scrubbing. Whatever it is they're doing. Like just, they're, they're cleaning this thing and they just keep cleaning it. What the Bible says, you get saved, the spirit starts cleaning, man. He starts cleaning you. He dunks and he scrubs and he dunks and he scrubs and he's just constantly over and over and over again. He's cleaning you. Whether you feel clean or not, it's, this is really good. This is not like a Tide pen that he's putting on you to get a little stain out. Like he's totally dunking you into everything he's got to clean you and to make you brand new. So I'm sanctified. He's making us holy. Whether you feel like it or not, one of the things that the Spirit is doing right now is he doesn't just seal you. He doesn't just save you. He cleans you. He sanctifies you. He gives you right standing before God. Look at this other verse. The Bible says he, he immerses us into the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized, plunged, immersed, whatever word you want to use, into one body. You were all made to drink of one spirit. Like He says, listen, when you get saved, whether you feel like it or not, God takes you, he plunges you into the spirit and into the church. Whether you feel like it or not, when you place your trust in Jesus, you're part of the church. Whether you feel like it or not, when you place your trust in Jesus, you're dunked into the Holy Spirit. Make you feel nervous, that kind of talk? Listen, I'm just trying to read to you what the Bible says, how active the Spirit is. Now, now you may not feel that one, but, but this next list, listen, this next list, you should feel and experience. 
Because he's not just involved in when we get saved, he's actually involved in every piece of your Christian life. Listen to this verse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says this. Y'all know these verses if you've been in church. But the fruit of the Spirit, he gives you this list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, what the Spirit does in your Christian life is he produces fruit. He should be, he is making you more loving, giving you more joy, giving you more peace, growing you in patience, growing you in kindness, growing you in gentleness, Growing you in self-control, and I think I skipped one, but I don't remember for sure. Like, like fruit, the spirit, what he's doing is he's producing fruit in you. You aren't producing the fruit. He is. He's actively involved, strongly involved, not only in cleaning you, but he's changing you every day. There's more. John chapter 4, verse 23, famous verse says, uh, the hour is coming is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Like, so this, here's what God's doing. He's helping you worship him. Let me make that plain to you. When we show up to gather to worship, let me tell you what does not cause worship. Instruments. Songs. Lights. That doesn't cause, we can try to manufacture it, right? Like, Man, the Spirit's probably not going to show up. So here's what we got to do. I got to get all the settings just right. I got to get the songs that they like. I got to get the lights that set the mood. I've got I've to tweak things just right. And if I don't tweak it right, you won't worship. Listen, it's the Spirit that causes our hearts to worship. The, the Spirit does that. And if you try to manufacture it, you're going to be a fraud. The Spirit helps you worship. So if you're struggling with worship, you need the Spirit to help. Romans 8, 16, he confirms our salvation. says he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8, 26 says he helps us pray. Like we're struggling to pray. He helps us actually pray. 1 Corinthians 2 says he helps us understand the word. When you read the word or when you hear the word and a light bulb clicks in your brain, that's the work of the spirit. And it's supposed to be strong and powerful. Number six, I want to share with you. 1 Corinthians 12, he says this, that he gives us, he gifts us for the good of other people in the church. This one's powerful here. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse four. He says this, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Like there's a whole bunch of giftings in the church, but it's the same spirit. Verse seven says to each is given the manifestation of the spirit. And why? For the common good. In other words, he's saying this, like God gifts you every single one of you. And when the church gathers, the spirit is supposed to be showing up through every single one of us for the good of the other people in this body. Like, here's what that means. That means you don't show up to church and the only one that the spirit is working in is me up here from this pulpit expressing a gift by preaching the word. That means every one of you, extroverts and introverts, good experience, bad experience. When you show up, if you're in Jesus, the spirit is doing a work in you for the people next to you. 
That means you show up and you're trying to follow the Spirit and maybe he says, I want you to go talk to someone, so I want, to go, I want you to go encourage them or check on them. That means throughout the week you're getting together because God is doing something in and through you for the good of the people around you. That, that, that's the work of the Spirit. Like you, the church is not about coming and sitting and listening to one person express his gifts. It's the entire church expressing the gift of the Spirit to the rest of the church around them. Can you imagine how powerful that would be? I, I just want you to picture this. Just take, take a moment and, and picture what it's like if when you show up to church, you're not sitting there going, dude, I hope they entertain me and I hope that's fun. And I hope you're showing up and you're saying, dude, I think the spirits, I've been walking with God all week and I've been in the word and I've been praying and he's doing this work in me. And I show up here walking with the spirit, filled with the spirit and I'm following his leading on the people I talk to and where I sit and who I hang out with and what I say. Do you realize the power of 150 people filled with the Spirit gathering together? Imagine the encouragement in that group. Listen, you show up hurting in that group, bro, you're going to be encouraged. You might be challenged. Like, and it might be just quiet. They might just sit next to you. But, but the work of the Spirit should be happening in and through every single person in this room. I think that would be powerful. I think, dude, I would want my unsafe friends to come to church with me if everyone in this room was walking with the Spirit when we showed up. Wouldn't you? Like, listen, you have a rough day, you're struggling with something, you have a rough week, a rough two weeks, like life wrecks you. Wouldn't you want to be in a room with a bunch of people who are filled with the Spirit and following God? Or do you want to be with a bunch of people who consume and just show up and sit and listen and leave? That, that's not the church. The church is a lot of people who have met Jesus that are filled with the Spirit, that are gathered together, expressing their gifts to one another for the good of everyone around them. That's a lot of work of the Spirit right there. You, you need to hear that. And, and not only that, not only is he involved in that, there's certain commands that the Bible has given us about how we're supposed to interact with the Spirit. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. Don't resist him. Don't frustrate him by the way you treat one another. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 18 gives this command, it says to be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk, but be filled. Be continually filled with the Spirit. The command of the Bible is that you would not grieve the Spirit and that you and I would continually Always be getting filled over and over and over again with the Spirit. That's basic Christianity right there. Or this, Galatians chapter 5. I told you I was giving you a lot of verses. It says this. It says that we're supposed to walk by the Spirit. We're, we're, we're following Him. And in verse, um, verse 17, or verse 18, it says this. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're supposed to be led by the Spirit. In other words, you're looking at Him and where He goes, you go. And he says, go there, I go there. He's leading me. I'm walking in him. I'm, I'm following the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That, that I'm literally, it, it's that picture of a military marching. And as they march, they're all trying to stay in step. And what I'm doing is out of the corner of my eye, I'm looking at the Spirit to make sure he steps, I step. He steps, I step. He steps, I step. Does that sound like theoretical stuff to you? 
I just gave you this list of things about the Spirit helping you understand the Word and gifted, gifting you for the good of the people around you. He seals you. He cleans you. He empowers you for all sorts of stuff. And you're supposed to not grieve Him. You're supposed to be filled with Him over and over and over again. You're supposed to be led by Him. You're supposed to keep in step with Him. Listen, church, one of the essentials of the Christian life, of the church, is that we are somehow finding a way to keep track of what the Spirit's doing and following Him and staying in step with Him. This is essential Christianity. And I get concerned. Because if all this is true, here's what that means about this room. Um, I, I get concerned that that sounds so squishy to us. It sounds so like up there. It doesn't feel like practical that we dismiss it. And when you dismiss the spirit, you are dismissing the power to live the Christian life. If this is true, if all these things that are read, and I left out a lot of verses, even though I went through five billion of them. If that is true, here's what that means about this group right now. That this room is filled with people who have the potential to do supernatural acts of love and acts of ministry to encourage one another in a way we never even thought possible that we couldn't even plan. That in this room, every man, woman, and child in this room who's been saved by Jesus, you have the potential to do unbelievable ministry, shocking acts of love. There is power in you to kill sin that no program or no meeting could ever do. You have the spirit. And he's active and engaged. You are not a group of misfit toys that can't do anything. You are God's children who have resurrection power in you. Resurrection power to love one another. To hear the word, to respond to the word, to speak the word to one another. To reach your neighbors and to love this city. You have power from God himself in you. And don't let someone tell you you're weak and useless. Yet yeah, we're broken. We're weak on our own, but we're not on our own. The spirit is in you and he's active. My other challenge for you is this. Don't quench the spirit. There's this moment where God's doing something in you and you get nervous about it, don't take fear and dump water on that little fire. Don't, don't be nervous what other people will think. Don't say, I've never done that before, so I'm just going to stay here. Like, like, let him lead you. Don't quench him. Don't ignore him. Don't try to put him in a box. Don't say, here's what I do. I show up, I sit in the same seat, I do the same thing, and I talk to the same people. Like, you... Do not quench the spirit with rigidness and resistance to what he would do. Find ways to follow him and keep an eye on him. The spirit is an essential part of the church. I, I don't know that it's supposed to look like Acts chapter 2, but it's supposed to be present and active. Church, my prayer for us is we would not be a people that would quench the spirit. We'd be people that would follow him and connect with him and be used by him for the good of those around us. Would you bow your head? I want to guide us in a time of response.
I know you got like 50 million verses. Here's what I want to remind you. The spirit is supposed to be strong and active in our lives and in our church. Because I don't know what God would have done in your heart, but if he convicted you of anything, if you felt the spirit doing this thing where, where you feel like you've, you've doubted that you have the power to follow Jesus, would you repent of that doubt and trust that Jesus will give you everything you need to follow him? Maybe you've been resistant and you're, just, you're stuck in the same routine and you've been quenching the spirit. Whatever it is, you've been resistant to talk to someone or whatever he's putting on your heart. Would, would you not resist anymore and would you just submit to him? Listen, I'd also ask for this right there as response. Would you pray for God to do a powerful work of the spirit in and through our church? Ask him to work in our midst. For some of you, some of this talk has felt weird, um, but one thing stood out to you that you've heard about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and you've never placed your trust in him. You might, have, you might be religious, you might have been good, but you've never experienced something where God actually did some of those things like he sealed you and he cleaned you and he made you his own because you've never placed your trust in Jesus as your savior. Listen, if that's you today, I want to encourage you. Don't leave here today without placing your trust in him. The Bible says that Jesus died for us. And he came back to life three days later and that if we'll just confess our sins and ask him to save us, that he will. He'll make us sons and daughters and he'll, um, he'll clean our hearts and give us right standing. He'll, he'll make you part of his family. And he'll fill you with his spirit. If, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. In a moment, we're going to sing in response to God. And here's what's going to happen. This altar is going to be open. If, if you need to come and pray, you can do that. You can pray in your seat or you can sing to God. If you need to speak with someone, our pastors and decision counselors will be down front. We'd love to talk to you about anything God's doing in your life. But for right now, we, we want to take a moment and make sure that we're actually responding and seeking God and following his spirit. We pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, you, you, you see us. You, you know exactly who we've been. You, you've seen when we've been resistant. You've seen when we followed. And God, I pray for our church that we would be a people who would be filled with the spirit, that we would follow and we would see you work the way you want to work in a church. God, I, I pray for us that, that we would find ways to be used by you to love and serve and minister to the people around us. God, I pray you would work. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen.